Well, good morning. Isaiah chapter 55 is where we'll be today. If you have a Bible, Isaiah chapter 55. <clears throat> have you ever wondered if God just didn't really care about your happiness? If that just wasn't a priority to him? When I was growing up, um, something that people would say in the church where I grew up was, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. And so I grew up just thinking like, okay, so does that mean if I'm like having a good time, enjoying myself, that like, I'm, am I doing it wrong? What does that mean? Have you ever felt that way before? The problem, if God doesn't care about your happiness, the problem with that is that you care a lot about your happiness, don't you? I care a lot about my happiness. In fact, that's the motive, that's the reason for all the decisions that we make, is we wanna be happy. We're all on a happiness quest. Blaise Pascal, you might recognize him from the Pascal Triangle. He was also a philosopher and a Christian, and he wrote this. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Translation, everybody wants to be happy. This is the motive behind all of our decisions. Now, happiness might look different for you depending on your personality and what you like. Pursuing happiness for you might look like pursuing love and acceptance, being in a place where you're accepted for who you are, where you can belong. Happiness for you might look like respect and significance. It might look like people knowing what you do and knowing that you're good at it. And there's something about that that makes you happy. Happiness for you might look like security feeling safe, feeling like things are together. It might look like success, people looking at what you've accomplished and just admiring you. Happiness might look like peace in your family. You just would love for people to stop arguing and just we get through one meal without arguing. That would be happiness for you. It might look like power, you just, you want to be in control. You wanna be able to make decisions. You wanna be able to be the leader. You wanna be the person that people look to. That's happiness. It might look like pleasure and just having great experiences, going on a great trip, going on an adventure, getting something new that's cool, that is fun. It might look like freedom. You just wanna be free from restraint. You wanna be able to, to, to be you and do you and not have anybody trying to control you or any burdens tying you down. You wanna have freedom. Happiness might look different depending on how you're wired, depending on what you're interested in, but happiness is still the goal. 
It's still the motive behind all of our decisions. And if God doesn't care about your happiness, then that's a real problem. And that makes following God and doing God stuff like something that maybe is a duty that you just, well, this is what we got to do. I don't want to do it. Nobody really wants to do this stuff, but it's what we're supposed to do. So get up, get in the car, we're going. If God doesn't care about your happiness, then God, following God is just a duty that you have to do that you don't want to do, or it's not something that you should keep doing for long. And maybe you've even felt that, maybe one of your kids has felt that, that just, oh gosh, I gave that up a long time ago. The good news today is that God is not anti-happiness. In fact, this week, uh, Courtney and I have been memorizing uh, Psalm 100 together because we had a conversation with somebody last week. We were like, we should start memorizing more scripture. And we started with Psalm 100 just because it's easy. Um, But Psalm 100 says this, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Come before him with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. God is not anti-happiness, and our problem is not that God doesn't care about our happiness. Our problem is that we don't care enough. And that's what we're going to see today in Isaiah chapter 55. God is going to use this metaphor to help us understand how happiness really works. So what we're going to do is first we're going to look at verse 1 and and unpack the metaphor. Then we're going to look at the invitation that God is giving us. And then I'm going to ask you one question. All right? So let's jump in. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. God says, hey, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. Hey, if you are hungry, Come get something to eat. Here's the metaphor. It says, if you want to understand how happiness works, then you got to think about it like food. You got to think about it like food. How does food work? This is very basic, right? The way that food works is uh, you need it to live, right? Food and water keeps you alive, right? Isn't that just, that's, we're very baseline here, Right? So the way that you stay alive is by eating stuff and drinking stuff. And your body also has a cue and it lets you know when you need more of the thing that will keep you alive. Isn't that true? That's why you get thirsty and that's why you get hungry, right? It's your body letting you know, hey, we need some more of that stuff that's gonna keep us alive. And if you ignore that 
cue, if you ignore that craving long enough, what'll happen to you? You'll die, right? It's very just like basic level, like human existence. But how many of you know that it's possible to be alive and not really living? How many of you know it's possible to have a pulse, like your existence is not in question, and yet it feels like you're just trudging through life with dread and misery, and it's hard to get up in the morning. You're alive, but you're not really living. When I was a freshman in high school, I ran for freshman class president, and I lost the election. And it was terrible. It was super embarrassing, and I hated life. And so I just went through this cycle of like, I just wanted to come home. I didn't want to talk to anybody, especially not my stupid parents. I didn't want to hang out with any friends. I just wanted to go to my room, play video games, and be by myself. And after a couple weeks of that, my dad came in one day and he was like, buddy, is everything okay? Because it doesn't seem like you have much life. It doesn't seem like you have much life. And I've never forgotten the way that he said that because what he wasn't saying is that like, buddy, I don't know if we need to go to the emergency room. Like, I'm afraid that your existence is in question. What was he saying? He was saying, even though you're alive, it doesn't really seem like you're living. And you've had a moment or moments like that in your life too, haven't you? Maybe that's even what 2020 has been for you. You're alive, but you're not really living. You've also experienced the flip side of that before, haven't you? You've had seasons of life where, man, it was just such a joy to get up in the morning. You were looking forward to it. It's like things were going so well. You were so, so easy. You felt like, man, this is really living. What's the difference? Well, in the same way that your body needs food and water to live, your soul needs something to live. Your soul needs something to be happy. The body is to life what your soul is to happiness. This is why Proverbs 17 says, a joyful heart is good medicine. That when, when you have life inside of you, when you're, when you're experiencing joy and happiness, man, it feels like this is living. Here's the problem. We know how to keep our bodies alive. You need food and water. But it's not as clear how to keep your soul alive, is it? Like when you start to be hungry and thirsty for food, you don't have to think too much. It's like, yeah, I need to eat something. But where do you go when your soul is thirsty? Where do you go when your soul is hungry? The answer is not as obvious, is it? The answer is not as clear. But we do have some things that we crave. 
And so we start to go after some of those things. I am longing for love and acceptance. So what food do I need to eat to help me get that? Maybe I need to eat the food of romance. Maybe the problem with my life is that I married the wrong woman. Maybe the reason that I'm dissatisfied with life is just, I got the wrong one. So maybe I need to, there's, there's true love out there. There's a real woman out there who would meet all of my deepest needs, who would make me feel so just awesome all the time. And so that's the food that I need. We have this craving for love and acceptance and we think, well, maybe I need to eat the food of romance then. You understand how that works? Or we have this, this longing for respect and significance. We want people to know that, that we're good at what we do and we want to enjoy it, but we hate our job. So maybe the problem is we got the wrong career. We picked the wrong profession. We work at the wrong company. We live in the wrong city. So if, if I got a new job, then my soul would be happy. If I ate the food of a new job, then this longing that I have would be satisfied. You see how that works? We do this with all kinds of things. We long for security, feeling like, okay, no matter what happens, we're gonna be okay. And so what food should I eat for that? Maybe if we had more money, then it would be fine. We long for pleasure and freedom and respect. So if I lost 30 pounds, if you could see my abs the way that, man, back in my 20s, if I could get that body back, then we would be good to go. You see how that works? I really want for my family to feel this way, but in our house, our living room is just terrible and he's not gonna you know, fix it anytime soon. So we probably just need a new house. If we had a, a different house, if we had a new house, then I would love having people over and we could host gatherings and it would be awesome and we would have so much more fun and our family would be together. Our kids would wanna be here. If we had a pool table in the basement, all the kids would want to hang out at our house. Do you see how this works? We have a longing in our soul and we're craving these things. Our soul's telling us, hey, you're hungry, you're thirsty, but we don't know what to do. We don't know what food to eat. We don't know what makes us happy. And that's God's critique of us. God's critique is not, you've got all these longings for love and acceptance and respect and security and significance and pleasure and freedom. You've got all those longings for those things and that's terrible. You just need to be holy, just suck it up. And that's not God's posture towards us. God wants us to have those things. Our problem is that we don't care about those things enough. Listen to God's critique of us in verse two. Why do you spend silver or your money on what is not food and your wages on what does not 
satisfy. Now, again, he's speaking figuratively here. This is a metaphor. He's not being literal. He's saying, why do you spend so much effort on getting food for your soul that's not even real food? In other words, the stuff that you think can give you love and acceptance, it's not real food. It would be like if your body, if whenever you started to get hungry and thirsty, you were like, okay, let's see. I've got a pencil. I just start nibbling on that and that'll feel great. Or I'm going to, all right, hold on. I'm, I just heard my stomach growl, rip this out and we'll just eat that real quick. That's not even funny because it's not, it's so stupid. (laughs) You know that you would not do that. It's like in when Scott Calvin's at the doctor in the Santa Claus. He's like, I can't understand why I've gained so much weight. And the guy's like, well, you know, what have you been eating? And he says, I don't know, milk and cookies, but I don't finish all the milk. It's like, well, you know, maybe that's our problem. We'll start there. When it comes to our bodies, we know, look, if you want to live, you've got to eat real food and drink water. But when it comes to our souls, we start to have these cravings and we go to things that are like eating a pencil. We don't go to real food. And that, that is God's critique of us. Why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Isn't it true that, that no matter how great the experience, the experience with a woman or a man, the experience with a job, the experience with a house, the experience with a neighborhood, the experience on a vacation, at the end of that, Once you've tasted it, it's not enough. In C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he has a chapter called Hope where he talks about this dilemma. And I want to read this quote to you. It's pretty long, but I asked my wife if it was too long, and she said, no, it's really pretty. And so we're just going to read the whole thing. Listen to what he says. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no country, no learning can really satisfy. I am not now speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at in the first moment of longing, which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent and chemistry may be a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. Isn't that true? that the longings we have are not satisfied in the foods that we think will satisfy them. C.S. Lewis goes on to say that when that begins to dawn on you, 
then you have three options. The first option is to keep searching, just to be an endless searcher. These are people who move from thing to thing to thing to thing, searching for the one that will finally satisfy. Well, my wife wasn't really satisfying me, but she wasn't the most attractive woman I could have landed. So we need to start looking around. And if we get her, man, if we could get her, then we would be satisfied. That career, that job, that company, that boss, they were all idiots anyway. And so what we really need is to get a new job and a new career. I'm 50. I've already kind of put in a lot of time in this career, but we're going back to school. We're getting a new job. We, that was the problem. We didn't have the right career. We'd been on a lot of trips. We'd gone to Hawaii, but we'd never been to, to Asia or South Africa or Europe. So we got to go there. That's option one, to just keep searching, to move from thing to thing to thing, to get a new house, a new boat, a new computer, a new whatever. And eventually that will satisfy. C.S. Lewis says that's the foolish way to respond. Then there's the second way. The second option is to settle down and manage your expectations. Just settle down and manage your expectations. Look, you can't be the kind of person who just marries six women and travels around everywhere and blows all your money on new things. And you can't switch a, you know, to a new job every time you don't wanna to go to work. It's work. So suck it up, go to the stupid job, do what you're supposed to do and come home and just be a good man, a good woman and do your debt to society. That's what the rest of us are doing. So just, that's how you build a great society is just suck it up and stop whining about it. And C.S. Lewis says that would actually be a wise approach. Unless satisfaction was really out there. Look, manage your expectations, just buckle down, keep your job. That would be a fine approach unless there really is something out there. Here's what C.S. Lewis says the third option is. He says to look to heaven. Listen to this. The Christian says, here's how the Christian should respond. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby fills hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The third option is the longing you have for love and acceptance, the craving that you have for respect, for freedom, for security, that is not made up. That is not a fantasy. But it cannot be satisfied in this world. There are not women enough to satisfy your desire 
for romance and sex. There's not vacation enough to satisfy your longing for adventure. So what are we to do? God says, come to the waters, everyone who's thirsty. Come buy and eat. Look at the invitation that God is offering you. Isaiah chapter 55, verse one. Let's walk back through this. He says, come everyone who is thirsty. Come to the water. What does water do? Water here represents refreshment. If you are in your moment of need, you feel like your soul is just on the edge of the cliff. Your soul feels so dry. You've been wandering through the desert. God says, come and receive water. I want to refresh you. I want to make you live again, he says. But he doesn't just offer us water. God is not just interested in seeing you survive, just seeing you make it through. God also is offering us, look at this. He's also offering us milk. What is milk? Milk represents nourishment. If you want a kid to grow up strong, you tell them to drink milk. Milk represents strength and maturity and growth. And God wants that for you too. He doesn't just wanna give you water so you can survive. He wants to give you milk so you can be strong. And look what else he wants to give you. He wants to give you wine. What does wine represent? Wine represents joy and celebration and parties. There's a kid inside of you, even though, you know, you've had to be serious for a while. There's a kid inside of you that still loves to laugh and still loves to sing and still loves to be goofy. And God says, come. I want your soul to experience that too. He gives you water so you can live. He gives you milk so you can grow and be strong. And he wants to give you wine so that you can rejoice and be glad. Look at what else he says, verse two. We looked at the first part. Why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what is not satisfy? But now he's gonna describe what that food that he wants to give us is. He says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And this refers to the quality of the food that God wants to give us. God wants to give us something for our soul that will actually nourish us. He's not trying to just slide us, you know, Doritos and Happy Meals so that you can be happy. That's, that doesn't help you be happy long-term. I don't know if you knew that. He wants to give us quality food. Eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Now, the way this translation translates to this is it makes it sound like both of those are the same. 
Really though, this is literally, you will enjoy fatness. He's saying there's gonna be a lot of it. It's plentiful, the food that he wants to give you. It's good and it's plentiful. He wants to give you water, milk, and wine that is good and plentiful. And then look at verse three. This is the most surprising part of it. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. What is he saying? He's saying, I want to give you water and milk and wine that's high quality and that there's a lot of. But do you know how I give that to you? Is I give you me. The invitation here is not come to God and he'll give you that job you want. Come to God and he'll make your finances in order. Come to God and he'll give you the woman of your dreams. Come to God and you'll get to go on all kinds of great vacations. Come to God and your stocks are going up. Come to God and your candidate's going to win. Come to God and... See, if that's what you think you, you need to be happy, you don't care enough about your happiness. That stuff doesn't satisfy. God says, come to me and I will give you me. I will give you myself. I will give you myself and you will come to see that your soul, your soul needs me more than anything else. This is why Jesus, when he came to the earth, he said, hey, if you're thirsty, I'll give you something to drink. Come to me, the living water. This is why I said, said in John chapter six, I am the bread of life. No one comes to the father except through him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. But he's the bread of life. Do you know what that means? He's the substance that, that actually gives us life. And so he says, eat me. Why is this possible? How is this possible for us to obtain? Notice in verse one, it says that you without silver come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without silver and without cost, or literally it's without money. What is he saying? If you don't have money, how are you going to buy this stuff? And the answer is Isaiah chapter 55 is true because of Isaiah chapter 53. That what you need entering into this kind of joy and fellowship, it does cost, but it's not your money. It's the money that Jesus has paid. Jesus paid for you to be able, able to experience this kind of happiness, this kind of satisfaction when he went to the cross and when he was raised from the dead. Jesus did not come and die so that you could just be forgiven and then have to, you know, trudge through life miserable. Jesus came and died and was raised so that you can be invited in to fellowship with a joyous God. 
so that you can live forever. So C.S. Lewis would say, fix your eyes then on the world that you were made for. That won't make you useless here. It'll actually be the thing that leads you to be able to make a difference here. So here's the question I said I was going to ask you. What would your life look like if you truly believed that Jesus could satisfy your soul? What would your life look like? What would be different in your life if you truly believed that Jesus was the food that your soul needs to really live? I don't know what that looks like for you, but the Holy Spirit is a helper who will help you. Let me pray for you and ask him to help us with that. Father, thank you for for being a God who, who loves us and cares for us and wants to satisfy us. God, thank you for the longings that you've given us. God, for the people in the room today and the people watching online, God, would you give them wisdom? Would you give them eyes to see that that turning to all of these other foods is foolish? And God, would your grace, the grace that, that is theirs because Jesus came, would that grace overwhelm their hearts and lead them to say no to their fleshly desires and yes to you? Would we come, taste, and see that the Lord is good? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?